She just sings with all of her heart through the whole thing. It's so lovely. You can't all sit next to her next week. <laughs> Maybe she'd just mention that. Have you found it, Martin? It's up, but it's not, is it? <laughs> Anyone with the gift of PowerPoints? Are you opening it in Pro Presenter, Martin, or just on its own? We can start. It's fine. I'll, I'll let them. It's very stressful being on vision for the vision person. Um, so, we have been doing Ruth. And uh, I spot some different faces amongst you, so uh, we're going to have our special Skipton iPlayer and bring you up to speed with the story so that you know where we are. So, the story goes, Elimelech marries Naomi, 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 me, Bethlehem, but there's a famine in Bethlehem. So Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Marlon and Kilion, decide to leave Bethlehem and head to the land of Moab, where there isn't a famine, because they think that that's a good idea. However, it proves not to be a very good idea. Whilst they're there, Marlon and Killian get married, that bit's okay, to Ruth and Orpah. But uh, unfortunately, Elimelech and Marlon and Killian all die whilst they are in the land of Moab. And after a while, Naomi says, I think I need to go home to Bethlehem. And she says to her daughters-in-law, you stay here because this is your land and your people and your God. You stay here, because there'll be a better life for you. And Orpah eventually concedes. Neither of them are very enthusiastic, but Ruth doesn't. She says, I want to go with you. I want to stay with you, and I want to go to your land, and I want to worship your God, the God of Israel. So Naomi and Ruth arrive back in Bethlehem, and uh, life isn't how, how they left it. Naomi says, call me Mara, because I feel bitter, not happy. Call me Mara. And they have no food, and there's no social security. So she sends Ruth out to glean in the fields, because according to the law, people farmed not to the edges of the field. They left a little bit round the edge, so that poorer people, vulnerable people, could have some way of getting food to live. While she's gleaning in the fields, a man named Boaz notices her and speaks to her and shows her favour and gives her gifts and looks after her. Boaz is a close relative of Ruth, but Ruth doesn't know that. And last week, Phil was talking to us about, are these things coincidences or are they God-incidences? And how many God-incidences seem to occur when we put our lives in the flow of what God is doing and we pray, and we seek to cooperate with him in what he's doing in our lives. So we've got to Ruth chapter 3. Let's read that together. I think it's page 269 on the Pew Bible. I don't know all the pages off by heart. I read it out of the Pew Bible earlier. <laughs> so chapter 3. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you? Let's come up here now. Where you will be well provided for. Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. 
Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me this six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Thank you, guys. That's fine for now. Don't, please don't worry about it anymore. It's really not, not important to worry about it anymore. That's fine. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, Martin, have you pressed record in the midst of everything else being chaotic? Yes, great. So here we are. We've done that bit. So we, today we're going to see why it's so important who Boaz is and what role he plays in Ruth's life that is going to transform absolutely everything and give her a hope and a future. To really understand this story, we need to understand a little bit about the culture of the time in order to hear what God wants to communicate to us. And particularly, we need to understand the concept of Leverite marriage. If uh, This is something of the concept of Leverite marriage. What if a man's brother dies, so he remarries his brother's wife, then chokes on a chicken bone. Next bro is hit by a bus. Fourth bro has a piano fall on him. Fifth bro slips in the shower. Sixth stone for eating McDonald's on the Sabbath. Seventh is more by a camel. And the woman dies too then. In his attempt to trick Jesus, Sal the Sadducee became bogged down in the details of his story. So the concept of leveret marriage is that when the husband died, the husband's brother married the widow to produce a son and an, and an heir. And that son and heir would have the name of the dead family, the dead man's family. Okay, so there's quite a lot of cost involved there. Whether or not it actually worked out to the seventh brother, it's probably up for debate. But the concept was there to protect the family line. 
In Ruth's case, that wasn't possible because there were no more brothers, but the law provided an alternative in that instance. And that alternative was called a kinsman redeemer. That's the word goel in Hebrew. A near relative who could marry the widow in order to continue and preserve the family line. The role, according to the law, was to protect the needy members of the family by redeeming them, by literally buying them back. It could apply in three different instances. First of all, it could apply to a relative who had been sold into slavery. So if your relative had been sold into slavery and you decided to be their kinsman redeemer, you could buy them back out of slavery so that they were a free person again in the family. As with Ruth from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 and 6, a kinsman redeemer could buy back the widow in order to, purchase, uh, to preserve the family line. And also from Leviticus 25, it was possible to redeem the land that a relative had sold in order to probably eat, to redeem that land back into the family again, because land is livelihood in that context. So the kinsman redeemer image could apply at three different levels. In order to redeem people, land, or lineage, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, needed to fit three different qualifications. First of all, they had to be a blood relative. So you couldn't just be a nice person who wanted to help out. You had to be a blood relative of the person who needed help. Secondly, you needed to be able to redeem. So you might be the blood relative, but you might not have any money either. So you needed to have the capacity to do something about the situation that you could see ahead of you. And thirdly, you had to be willing to do it. So that means there was kind of an option there. So just because you were a blood relative and able didn't mean you absolutely had to do it. You also needed to be willing rather than coerced into this role. In the story of Ruth, that's what she looked like, by the way. In case you were wondering, <laughs> Boaz tells Ruth, because Ruth doesn't know, that there is someone who is nearer of kin than he is. There is a nearer relative, but in the story in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, it's clear that that kinsman redeemer is neither willing nor able to do what Boaz is willing and able to do. So whilst he's first in line for this task, he doesn't want to take it. Um, but they need to ask him first, because he is first in line. So Boaz steps up. Boab is obviously the hero of the story, isn't he? And clearly rides a white charger and all that stuff. But we know he's going to step up, but he does step up. He steps up into that role to become the kinsman who will redeem the land and lineage of Elimelech, Marlon, and Kilion, who will transform Ruth's life. He is a blood relative who is able and willing to redeem and transform Ruth's life. Well, that's all very interesting, isn't it? And uh, Monday morning will be completely different as a result of you knowing that. So we'll just stop there, Sarah, okay? Okay, right. It is quite interesting. It does make sense of the story, but there is a sense in which we're left saying, and so what? And what relevance does that have to me today, to us as God's people today? And for me, that's where the exciting bit comes in. Because God chose in the law 
and in the stories of the Old Testament to show us something of what he is like. He gave us, if you like, shadows of the real thing or or clues to get us thinking in the right direction for the things that he really wanted us to grasp. So he kind of left this line of clues. He started with this picture and gradually filled it in with more colors until we could really grasp what he was talking about. So this story is about how wonderful it is when someone by choice rescues you from a life of potential destitution and a life without hope and freely gives you with a great cost to themselves a hope and a future. Now that sounds more exciting, doesn't it? Do you want me to say that paragraph again? This story is about how wonderful it is when someone by choice rescues you from a life of potential destitution and a life without hope and freely gives you, with great cost to themselves, a hope and a future. Thank you. (laughs) Now that's good news, isn't it? And that's what God longs to do for each one of us. God longs to redeem Israel right from the very beginning. The New Testament talks about God's plan to redeem everyone through Jesus. But I wonder if we fully understand what that means. Communicating in a different culture is always a challenge, isn't it? Many of you out there have lived in different cultures at different times. Getting the point across is sometimes difficult, especially when the words have no great meaning in the culture that you're speaking into. So um, there was a missionary in West Africa who was trying to convey the word redeem in the Bambara language. So he asked his African translator to express it in his native tongue. Now, we know that translation is not necessarily literal word for word. There's a level of interpretation into the words and metaphors of the culture. So he said, can you express it for me in your native tongue, what this word means? And uh, so, so the translator said, well, in our native tongue, we say this. We say that God took our heads out. So the missionary was left standing there going... I'm not sure I'm terribly enlightened at this point as to what you're saying to me. So he said, well, can you explain? Because I don't understand. So at the moment, neither of us are understanding (laughs) what's going on. Well, he said, well, many years ago, our ancestors were captured by slave traders. They were chained together and driven to the seacoast. And each of the prisoners had a heavy iron collar around his neck. And as the slaves passed through the villages particularly if they pass through their own village, the chief might notice a friend of his and say to the slave trader, "Uh, I'm willing to pay for my friend in silver or iron or brass. And the prisoner would be redeemed by the payment. And at that point, his head would be taken out of the collar. So when they translated it as, he took our heads out, He had that very, very powerful image in his mind of these former slaves having the iron collars removed from their necks and their heads taken out so that they might be free again. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's so powerful because that's what it means for Jesus to redeem us. It means he took our heads out. 
He took our heads out for all of our lives. We are slaves to sin. That's what the New Testament says. We are slaves to sin. We try to do the right thing, but our sinful nature means we do the wrong thing. We get it right for a little bit, but then we fail time and time again. We are dominated by sin. We are under the law of sin. Our lives so often are locked up by guilt. And if yours isn't, somebody outside the door will be. We become crippled by fear, by anger, by bitterness. It's as if we have chains around us. We might as well have actual physical chains around us sometimes for the chains that we feel around our hearts. But the word of redemption is that God took our heads out. He loosed the chains. He took the chains off us. Someone at the 9.15 this morning, as she was walking out, said to me, for years and years and years, I was crippled by guilt. I believed that God had redeemed me. I was Christian. But I couldn't get through that feeling of guilt that was on me. And I'd feel a bit better for a while, and then it would be like, I'd just go back to the beginning again. And then she said, eventually, I realized that Staying in the chains was arrogance on my part. Because if Jesus had done all that for me, who was I to stay in the chains? So I've never felt that guilt again in that same way. Some of us have the collars unlocked, but we're still in the collar. But Jesus has redeemed us and set us free. He has paid the ransom price, and it was a high one for us to be free. I wonder how many of you have watched this film at some point in your life, The Last Emperor. Film about a young child who is anointed as the last emperor of China. And he lives this magical life of luxury with a thousand eunuch servants at his command. Sounds good, doesn't it? Even one servant would be good. (laughs) At one point in the film, his brother says to him, what happens to you? when you do wrong. And the last emperor says this, when I do wrong, someone else is punished. And he picks up a jar and he drops it and breaks it on the ground and one of the servants is beaten. In the New Testament, it's not that when the king gets it wrong, the servants are punished, but that when the servants get it wrong, the king is punished by choice so we don't have to be our guilt is paid for that's what redemption is so Jesus fulfilled all three of the qualifications for the kinsman redeemer John 1 verse 14 says the word was made flesh and lived among us he is related by blood to the human race. If he had not done that, he would not have been qualified. He had to be one of us, to be flesh and blood, to be fully God and fully man, to live our lives, to be one of us, to qualify. 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 says, he is able to redeem because he is a lamb that is perfect without blemish. He fulfills all the requirements for the sacrifice. He is able. And Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, reminds us that he is willing 
to buy back what had originally belonged to him. So he is our blood relative, he is able, he is willing. Do you see that shadow that is coming clear? That picture that's being painted in, in the person of Jesus. So back to Ruth. I haven't forgotten that we're looking at the story of Ruth. After the conversation that Ruth has with Naomi, after she's been gleaning in the field and found favour with Boaz, Naomi thinks a little. (laughs) She knows that Boaz is a relative of theirs. So she asks Ruth to do something which seems really quite strange to us, be honest. does seem really quite strange to us. I'm not sure if it's going to catch on as an alternative dating technique. (laughs) Ruth is fully aware of the protocol of the day. She knows what she's asking of Ruth. So she says to Ruth, I want you to go to the threshing floor. And after Boaz has gone to sleep, I want you to go and lie down at his feet and lift up the cover which wouldn't be popular, would it, because your feet would get cold, and then and lie down at his feet. Now, some of the commentators I've read are very, very keen to make this as X-rated as possible. I don't think that it's saying any of that. Maybe we don't grasp what's actually going on. So the threshing floor is just a piece of land that's kind of hard and flat, where they would all go to thresh their grain in the outside so that the wind can blow the chaff away. Hence all the images of wheat and chaff. Probably at this time of the year, they all go there to do this. Then they all eat and drink together. Then they all lie down on the floor and all go to sleep until dawn when they all start again. Which makes sense of the fact that Naomi says to Ruth, just wait then look for where he lies, because you don't want to choose the wrong person. (laughs) They didn't have streetlights or torches. So it's really important, these little details, watch, pay attention where he is, so that you can quietly go and lie down at the right man's feet. So that's what she does. She goes and lies down at his feet. And she goes and does that because it's a sign that she wanted to receive his protection. As she lifts up the covering, the blanket, and puts herself under it at his feet, it's a sign that she wants to receive protection from him, to come under his care. It's a sign that she recognized because Naomi had told her who he was, and she wants him to take on that role as her kinsman, redeemer. And it's really beautiful because Boaz is stirred in the night, and he wakes up and he goes, whoa, there's a woman sleeping at my feet. (laughs) This doesn't happen to me every day. Um, But he's very caring of her. He's very lovely to her. He says, you're so kind that you haven't chosen younger men, whether they're poor or rich, but you've come to me. He takes it as like a favor that she has paid to him rather than the other way around. And he knows the protocol. He says, I'm not the nearest. There's somebody else. So we need to check with him, but if he doesn't want to do it, I will. Now, 
What a word of comfort to her. If he doesn't, I will. And there's that beautiful image there, isn't there, of the fact that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, but we have to place ourselves under his protection. We have to go to that place. We have to put ourselves under the mantle of protection and say, I want you to play this role in my life. I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. I know you can, but I want you to. But we left, aren't we, this amazingly powerful image that here is Ruth, whose life has been pretty rubbish, actually, to this point, who faces destitution, poverty, hunger, not much hope in terms of marriage and family. She's, she's a Moabitess in the land of Israel. There's a possibility that the two of them might die without this kind of care. And then there's Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and everything has the potential for transformation and change. I heard a story a little while ago about a businessman who was wanting to sell an old warehouse. And uh, the building had been empty for months and months, and wasn't looking in too good nick, according to that picture, anyway. And it needed many repairs. Vandals had damaged the doors, they'd smashed the windows, they'd thrown rubbish all over the place. And as he showed this prospective buyer around the property, he said to him, look, I'll replace the broken windows, and, uh, and I'll bring in a crew to sort out the structural damage and to clear up all the mess. But as he was speaking, the buyer interrupted him and he, and he said these words. He said, forget about the repairs. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building. I want the site. And there's something there that really speaks to me about how we respond to Jesus. That so often we spend our whole time going, look, I know I'm in a bit of a state, but when I've sorted this out... And when I've done that, and when I've cleared up the mess, and when I've got the right structural stuff in place, and when my life is, and when it's it, then, then you can have it. And Jesus says, don't waste your time doing that. Because I'm going to come in, and we're going to build something new here. We're going to build something new because that's what redeeming is about. It's not just about paying a 10 quid for you. It's about transforming the whole of your present and your future. And somehow in the midst of that, transforming the past and building something new on the site, which is your life. So this morning we're going to share communion in a moment. And you know, we come with all sorts of stuff, don't we? Some of us have a few broken windows. Some of us have a bit of rubbish on the floor. Some of us are looking a bit like that warehouse about to fall down. <laughs> he is our redeemer. And he doesn't need us to get our act cleaned up first. 
quite often around the table, we just say, come to the table. The verb come is not a difficult one. It just means come. <laughs> come as you are. Not as you think you might someday be. Or as come as you are, not as you hoped you might be this morning. Come as you are. And he is your redeemer. Let him do a bit of redeeming on your life this morning. I think that'll do.